Our scripture reading this morning is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses or transcends all understanding, will guard or garrison your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sharon. Um, I just wanted to introduce Steve before uh, he um, preaches for us this morning. Um, Steve is uh, my favorite scouser, and um, uh, Steve is, I've known Steve, I've known Steve even before we met in like Porterbrook stuff, right? About nine years, like even before we started the journey of planting, planting. So I've probably known Steve the longest of anyone in 829. We've become close friends and have deep brotherly affection for him, and and I love going uh, to there, uh, to Liverpool, to learn from these guys. And we have, um, by God's grace, you guys, uh, you, you kind of replanted down like 15 people, a little yeah. church you came in, revitalized that. Um, and now are, have planted two more churches out mm-hmm. and are in the process of two more two over more. the next 18 months, 18 something months like that. So um, I kind of have a collective of churches that are happening there. And so, so they're just that like step ahead of us. And so... We've, we've gone to Liverpool. We've sat down with some of their other pastors. Hey, what, how have you structured things? What, what, what are the lessons have you learned as you've started to plant churches? And, and we will continue to do that. And uh, he's been a great uh, friend and, and uh, just source of encouragement to me. And uh, I trust that you will um, um, enjoy uh, Steve this morning. So help me welcome Steve Robinson. Love you, brother. Thanks, man. I just call him Robbo. Call me whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. Good morning, folks. Great to see you. Great to see you. It is great to be here. I, uh, I love coming to Northern Ireland. I have a real affection. To, I, in fact, I feel more Northern Irish than I do English. And I, amen. Amen. And I think that's because being a Scouser, we've just, we just got a bit of everything in us. It's one of those things. But also, that actually, my life is about 25% Northern Irish. Okay, so our church is made up of about 25% of people from Northern Ireland. I don't know what you guys are doing, but they're all leaving and coming to Liverpool. That's it, about 25, but not only 25, 25% of our staff is from Northern Ireland, right? And also 25% of my own home is from Northern Ireland. No, seriously, so I, I, I'm married to Sean, we've got four children, and um, I, my parents actually live with us, and then we've also got two, two young ladies who are part of the life of the church, one is an intern, one works for UCCF, who are both from Northern Ireland. Someone's for, one of them's from Point of Dine. Point of dying, all right, okay. And, and the, the other young lady, Sophie, is from Belfast. But not only that, it's taken over 25% of my kids' accents, all right? I, okay, I, I, I've just got to sort this out before we go any further. So my kids will come in, and obviously, Scousers, we all like, we all talk up there, don't we? We're all up there all the time, constantly. And I know John Irvine was here last week, 
taking the mickey out of my accent. All right, okay. So I know that. So John, if you're listening, all right, your time will come. So anyway, so all my kids like that, 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 that. So they'll run in and they're like that, that, that. And then next minute it'll be like, I'm going for a par shower for an hour. And I'm like, what's all this about? <laughs> a par shower for an hour. What's that mean? But I, I know it's power, shower, hour. All right, so I, I know what that means. But then also when I go and visit John Irvine down in uh, Raffer Island as he's ministering to all his cousins, um, as he's down there, <clears throat> as he's ministering to the people down there, I arrive and everybody says this to me. It goes, Robo, are you well? Because you're looking well. And I'm like, okay, so I'm like, my ego is like, oh, great. Every time I go there, I come away and I'm thinking, now one of my colleagues, Josh Welsh, who leads Cornerstone Wirral, he, I told him this and he said, well, when he was a kid, if his grandmother or his auntie said to him, you're looking well, what it meant was you're putting on weight. So basically, every time I go to Raffer Island, they're all going, Robo, you're well, because it looks like you're eating well. All right, so, so we just need to sort those things. Now, I better get on preaching, but I could talk all day about accents, which is great. If you've got a Bible, turn to Philippians, Philippians, and we're going to look at a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. Paul, who was a man that actually had committed to his life, committed his life to stop the message of Jesus going forward. That's what he committed his life to. But Jesus graciously meets him, and he goes from being somebody that hates Jesus to somebody who actually loves him and wants to tell everybody. And God chooses him, the apostle Paul, to take the good news of who Jesus is to people who had no knowledge of the God of the Bible, who had no knowledge of Jesus whatsoever. And what we know about Paul, he goes and he tells people about Jesus in places that had never heard anything about him. And churches get planted. And then he travels to the next place and travels to the next place. And then what he starts to do is write to these churches, responding to things that are going on, just to encourage them. And this is a letter that we're going to read that the Apostle Paul writes to a church in Philippi that's made up of some of the most interesting people. If you read in Acts chapter 16, what you'll see is this church is made up of a business lady, a very successful business lady, an ex-prison officer, and a young lady um, who, who had been enslaved and actually was demon-possessed, all get saved, and this random church started, starts in this place called Philippi. Now, we haven't got time to read the whole letter, but if you read through the letter, what you'll see in this letter is Paul loves these people. He has an affection for this church. In fact, he tells them right at the beginning, every time I'm praying and I'm thinking of you, I'm filled with joy. And I'm filled with joy because we have this partnership in the gospel. Think about it. This is the man who God had chosen to take the good news of the gospel. We are sitting here because God used Paul. Because of him. And he is talking to a random group of people that nobody else would have known about unless Paul had documented it, unless Luke had documented it in his, in his book. He's saying, I'm filled with joy when I think of you because we have partnership in the gospel. Because both of us, all of us, partake in the same grace. The same good news of who Jesus is, receiving the same salvation, even though we don't deserve it. He's filled with this affection. Now, as you read through the letter, what you see is the whole letter is about joy. The theme of joy. On 14 occasions, he mentions the word joy. And twice in the book, he tells them to rejoice. See, the interesting thing is, folks, Paul is writing this letter whilst he's in prison. We have a number of people in our church who, who've been to prison before they became Christians. Some of them actually after they became Christians. Just the concept of being filled with joy whilst incarcerated, whilst being in prison. That joy can only be found 
in knowing who Jesus is. It's something that's far deeper than what our world understands to be joy. To be joy. But he's filled with joy because whilst in prison, he is also telling people in prison about Jesus. In fact, there are other people telling people about Jesus for the wrong motives, and people are being saved, and he's filled with joy because of that. He says, I don't really care. I just want people to know who Jesus is, and I'm filled with joy. So he's writing to this church that, compared to some of the other churches that Paul has planted, is probably in a healthy spot. But this church also, like, I can, can I say this? Our, this church, my church, churches all around, are vulnerable, and are in danger of having their joy in Christ robbed because of the circumstances that they find themselves in, both individually and collectively. See, some of these Christians have been Christians for 10 years, and perhaps the honeymoon period and the mundaneness of life is starting to bring a monotonous tone that's robbing them of the joy of who they are, who they are in Christ, who they are as being citizens of the kingdom of God. Some of them would have been discouraged that Paul was in prison. Imagine the guy that comes and brings this good news finds himself in prison. Is this true? Would God allow this? Would, would God do this? We read in chapter 4, just before our passage, there's two ladies, prominent ladies, ladies of influence in the life of the church. There's some sort of disagreement that Paul is saying, look, you need to get on. Sort this out. You, you ladies are so important and influential to the, the, the movement of the gospel. There's potential division. But also there's a real hostility, a cynical attitude. Paul says in, in chapter 2 that you're actually living as a church in a crooked generation that totally misunderstand what it is to do life and to live. So the reality of the circumstances of both Paul and this church is that as they look around, there isn't that much to be joyful about. But Paul is saying, be joyful. Be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord. Let me read it again if you don't mind. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me pray. Father, this is your word, and we ask that by your spirit our affections for Jesus will be stirred, and the joy that you have placed within our hearts will be kindled, rekindled, for your glory and our good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'm going to say it. Rejoice. That is a great Christian idea. Isn't it? It is. A great Christian idea, but incredibly difficult to live out. It would have been so much easier if Paul had have said, rejoice in the Lord when all is well. Wouldn't it? Rejoice in the Lord when all is well, but it doesn't. It says rejoice in the Lord always, when all things are well and when things are not so well. Rejoice. Be glad in the Lord always. November 2013 was the hardest month of my life. Our eldest daughter was seven years of age, Ella, and we noticed she had a little bit of a growth spurt, and we noticed just from looking at her back, that her, that her shoulder blades seemed to be out of joint. Brought a bit of a concern for us. So we took her to Alderhey Hospital, which is just by where we live, the children's hospital there. She was taken to a deformity unit, and they said that she had scoliosis, which is curvature of the spine. 
My wife rang me. I didn't go. We didn't think it would be anything too serious. I didn't go. We ended up in the hospital. Sean's ringing me in the toilet because she didn't want Ella to see how upset she was. And the doctor came out with this plastic brace, Boston brace, they called it, that she was told that she would have to wear for 20 hours a day till she was about 12. Our world fell apart. Totally, what, what does this mean? My little girl, she was upset. She was... What do I, what's this daddy for? And trying to strap her into it every, every day. She had four hours relief. It was a nightmare. Now, part of the treatment in all the Hay Hospital, nowhere else in the world do they do this with children, is the kids that are diagnosed with scoliosis, they put under an MRI scan. Because apparently there's some neurological things that can cause scoliosis, the curvature of the spine. So we went along and we thought, oh, this is just procedure. We'll be 10 or 15 minutes, they told us. We were in the MRI scanner for an hour and a half. Sean's saying to me, my wife, is there anything to be worried about? So I'm like, no, I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm, you know, these things, they say 50. I say I'll preach for half an hour. That means an hour. You know, yeah, you know, maybe they're the same. The next day, I was doing a school assembly in a local school, just talking about Jesus with the kids. And before I got up, I got a text from Sean saying, you need to come home. Of which I said, why? And all she put was Ella. I arrived home. And Sean is there with some of our friends in absolute mess. We'd received a phone call the following day after the MRI. And the reason why the MRI was so long is because they found a massive tumor in Ella's spinal cord. Massive. If you look down the spinal cord, it's nice and thin, and then it came like this. That would have been there since birth. And they needed to get in to take it out. Otherwise, she was going to be paralyzed and use, lose the use of everything from here down. Our world fell apart. She was in hospital. To make matters worse, we went to the hospital on the Monday just to receive all the information about this news. And that Monday was actually the day that my wife was due to give birth to our fourth child. We were told about the operation. We were sent, we were sent to the midwifery department. Sean was induced. We had our baby. Four days later, Ella's in an operation. Nine hours of the whole day tried to remove. They, they couldn't remove her all. She had to go to America for treatment, and she's still dealing with the issues of that today. Folks, my question is this. How can you rejoice in that? How can you rejoice in that? See, Paul is saying, when you are brought low, when things, or when things are going well, and when you have plenty, and when things are difficult, we are to rejoice in the Lord and be glad in Him. Be glad in the Lord. Now, I want you to note something. He is not calling us, who are people living in the real world with all the real problems, He's not calling us to rejoice in that situation. Not to rejoice in the issue. He's not saying to us, be glad that your little girl has a tumor. He's not saying that. No, He's saying in the midst of that circumstance, be glad in the Lord. Be glad in Him. Be glad in the one whose kingdom you are a part of. Of whom you are a citizen of. Be glad in the one whose righteousness, goodness, right standing before God covers you, whatever the circumstances. Be glad in the one in whom you have hope. In that one day he is going to transform that lowly body. In one day, he's going to transform the lowly body. I pray if she comes to know Jesus, my little girl, that one day she will be completely straight with no tumor whatsoever. Be glad in the one who actually gave up the throne of heaven and humbled himself even unto death to buy us back, of which we are a part. Paul is saying in every situation, whether good or bad, be glad in 
the Lord. Now, we can nod our heads and we can say amen, but the question is, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do we do this? And I think Paul helps us here. Rejoice in the Lord. We do this by remembering. Rejoice in the Lord. Remembering who he is and remembering where he is. Folks, we're called to rejoice in the Lord. It's interesting, you read in Philippians 2, Paul shows the humility of Jesus leaving the throne room of heaven, coming into the brokenness of this world. Limiting himself, both as God, but also limiting himself in his humanity in the fact that he becomes a man, and as men, we're limited. Require our sisters in Christ in order to, to live, to fulfill what God has called us. Christ limits himself, but not only to that, even unto death. But then, in, in the Father and in the Father's love and grace, he is raised to life again, and he is the King of kings. He is above every name. That is who Paul is saying, remember. Rejoice in him. The one who understands your situation, but not only understands your situation, is now over your situation as the Lord of lords. Remember who he is. It's interesting, you can read in Romans 11, which is another letter that Paul wrote. And right at the Romans 11, in, in Romans 11, right in the, in, in the, at the end of, of, of that chapter, he goes on as he's talking about the mystery of how, how Israel had all the promises of God, had walked away from God, but then suddenly people who didn't know anything about God become Christians and there is jealousy and there's that one day God will bring back his people from Israel. He says this right at the end, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul is saying, remember who he is. He is the name above every name. But he is the one whose riches and knowledge and wisdom is so deep, we can't even comprehend the depths of it. We are unable to scrutinize his ways or his thinking. And he is the one who owes us nothing. He is God. Rejoice in the Lord, Paul says. In the midst of the circumstances, remember who your Lord is. But not only remember who he is, remember where he is. Verse 5, the Lord is at hand. Rejoice in the Lord. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, many of the commentators, as you read this, will suggest that Paul means what Paul is meaning here is that the Lord is coming again, which is true, okay? We, we know he's coming back, and that's what Paul is saying. It's correct. But let us not forget this, that in the midst of our circumstances with the hope that Jesus, the Lord, who is the name above every name, is coming back. He is near. We are also now and today citizens of that kingdom, awaiting his return. But the original word for hand, at hand, means near. It means near. So the time is near when he is going to come. But also the place is near. The place is near. The Lord is coming soon, but he is also near. See, in verse 9, Paul talks about the God of peace being with us. Folks, we are to remember who the Lord is, but we also are to remember where he is. He is near. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, 
there is fullness of what? Joy. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you read in John 15, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's saying, look, abide in me, and I will abide in you. And verse 11 of that, he says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What Jesus is saying is, I am in you, and you are in me. Abide. Be in me, and I'll be in you, because there, that's where you'll find joy. Where am I? I am near. Paul is saying, rejoice in the Lord. He is at hand. We are able to rejoice in the Lord because we remember who he is and remember that he is here. And that in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Folks, we can be glad in the Lord in every situation because of who he is and where he is. Now, Paul is not calling us to rejoice, like I said before, in the horrific circumstances. In fact, Paul's not telling us to ignore these things or deny the pain or exercise some sort of help, self-help, positive way of thinking in any given situation. My whole family are Christians by God's grace. My parents are first Christians in our family. My brothers and sisters are all Christians. My wife is a Christian. My mother-in-law is a Christian. My brother-in-law is a Christian, and his family is. But my father-in-law isn't. And throughout the whole issue of Ella, all he could say is, we've just got to think positively. But he was like a wreck. Because he had nowhere to take it. He had no one to remember who was over it all. And he had no one to call upon who was near to him. And what he wanted to do was ignore the fact that anything was happening. Whereas the rest of the family were able to face the reality of the brokenness. Knowing that the Lord was with us and over us. Folks, Ella's situation, your situation, his situation, has not taken God by surprise. And it's not that God has shown up late. He knew and he is in complete control and he is right in the mix. He's right in the mix. He's not surprised by our circumstances and he is right with us. Therefore, rejoice in the Lord always for who he is and because he is right with us. Paul is saying, remember that. Remember that. But it's not only about remembering, it's also how we respond in light of remembering that truth. About two years ago, which would have been about two years after finding out about Ella, I found myself waking up on a Monday morning, not wanting to get out of bed. I'm not that guy. I've never been that guy. In fact, and I confess this to you, I thought people that struggled with any mental health or depression side of things were just weak. I confess that to you. In my arrogance and my youthfulness and my pride, I was like, Phew. but I find myself two years after Ella's diagnosis and walking through all sorts of stuff, church growing, different issues going on, not wanting to get out of bed, thinking, what is this? For months, fighting to get out of bed, for months thinking Monday to Friday, just getting through to get to the weekend. For months, struggling to read my Bible, but for months, fearful of telling anybody about it. Fearful. I find myself walking down our stairs in our hall. By God's grace, we have a house, a large house and several rooms in the, in the, in the hallway down the bottom of the stairs. Finding myself walking down the stairs and actually not knowing what room to walk into. I was feeling things and thinking things that I had no words to describe what was going on in my mind and my heart. And I didn't know what to do. 
I was short with my kids. I was short with my wife. I was short with my staff. I was short with the church. In fact, I didn't want to be around anyone, and I'm an extrovert. I wanted to be far away from everybody. I find myself worrying about getting up in the morning, worrying about preaching, worrying about everything. Just this anxiety came over me. It wasn't until, by God's grace, somebody graciously got hold of me and started to pray with me and talk with me and actually read the Bible and ask me some real questions regarding, was I remembering who the Lord was? And was I remembering where it was? And can I confess this to you? I wasn't. I was only concerned about me. I was only thinking about me. I was wrapped up in my own situation. See, I wasn't responding rightly in a situation that, that, that is understandable, folks, that is real, but I find myself in that situation forgetting who God was and who I was in the midst of that truth. Totally. I'd lost my joy. I wasn't reading his word. I wasn't praying. The life I was, wasn't, was living wasn't worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd lost complete focus of what and where my joy was and where it was found. Totally. Totally. Now hear me, my anxiety and my depression was real, and I struggle with it still today. It was real. My feelings were real, but my feelings weren't the arbiter of truth. My feelings were an indicator of where my heart was in the midst of that truth. But I was believing that my feelings were true to the point where they were the arbiter and I was moving away from God. I wasn't responding right to what I was being called to remember and therefore I was unable to rejoice. I was unable to rejoice. Folks, Paul is saying, be glad in the Lord, rejoice in him always because of who he is and where he is. Now, a life that is rejoicing in the Lord will display a life that is worthy of the gospel. Now hear me, this is not happy, happy, joy, joy. Big smile on my face, everything's fine. That's what we do as English people all the time, all right? That's why, that's why as a scouser, we're like, hey, this is what's going on. But the reality is this, in my culture, in my context, we keep it all behind this. Paul is not saying display a life that is not real. He's saying display a life that is worthy of the gospel in the reality of your circumstances. He's saying let your reasonableness, verse 5, be known to everyone a life that is worthy of the gospel in the midst of any circumstances will display a life that is reasonable, gentle. A life that is fitting, equitable, fair, fitting to the situation. A real response. So folks, if we rejoice in the Lord, in the fact of who he is and that he is in the midst of us, we will recognize that the brokenness of what we're feeling is real. It's interesting, I, I, I thought when I replanted a church that I would do a lot of funerals, and I haven't for people in our church, one person. But I've done a lot of funerals of other people from other churches and other contexts. And as Christian people, we, there's this situation of that, that a Christian funeral should be joyous. And on one level, yes, but a Christian funeral also should be sad because right in front of us is a reminder of the brokenness of this world and what sin leads to, which is death. A reasonable response is this is sad and this is broken, but thanks be to God for his grace that we have hope in the midst of it. That's a reasonable response. A non-reasonable response, a non-equitable response will be like, this is brilliant. No, it's not. This is sad. This is broken, but praise be to God. 
Paul calls the Christians in Philippi in every situation to rejoice in the Lord and let their way, the way they live in every situation, be fitting to the situation in light of who they are and who their joy is in. Folks, in my situation, the reality was I was fearful of living out the pain that was going on in my heart and my head that actually pulled me away from the joy that I, was, that I should have been found in, in, finding in the Lord. Paul is not saying ignore the circumstances, ignore the reality. He is saying face the reality in the right way as somebody has their trust in the gospel. And at times that means be sad. At times that means be angry but not sin. At times that means be broken. At times that means weeping on your knees without words to say. But take the words that you don't say and can't say to the one who is the Lord and the one who is near. The one who is near. So what does that look like? What does that look like? See, it's interesting. Paul then shows them what it doesn't look like. (laughs) A life that is rejoiced in the Lord. Verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything. It's interesting, isn't it? Reasonableness, but don't be anxious. See, anxiety is taking an unknown, the unknown outcomes of the future and bringing them into the present. The unknown outcomes of the future bring into the present that cause us to miss out on what God is doing in the present. It's interesting that you're going to be doing the Sermon on the Mount because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus very clearly says to them, look, be anxious for nothing. <laughs> look at the birds. Look at the birds, even pigeons, the rats of the sky, aren't they? The pigeons are the rats of the sky, right? Okay, even the pigeons, I provide food for them. Look at the grass. It's clothed more beautiful than Solomon's temple. How much more will I clothe you, he says. In Luke's um, account of the, sa- of the same um, teaching, he's, he's, Jesus says this, you can't even add one second to the day, but I can let tomorrow take care of tomorrow. Jesus is saying, be anxious for another. The Father that loves you, the Lord who is over you, the Lord is with you, is, is with you. Will provide, will be with you. Don't worry about that future because the one who has that future in his hand is with you in the presence and leading you to that. And you can trust him. Be anxious for nothing. See, anxiety says this, I want to control this, but I can't. Anxiety says that my joy is not in the Lord. Anxiety says that our confidence is rooted in our flesh, which is failing us, and we don't know what to do. I'm a control freak by nature. I just want to control everything, and I couldn't even control my own mind. I didn't know what to do. Anxiety is often an indicator that we are not moving towards God in any situation, but moving away from him. Now, folks, hear me. There is rational anxiety and irrational anxiety. Rational anxiety, okay, I think is a misunderstanding of real, reasonable worry in the midst of the reality. So to be concerned that my daughter may, never, may, may be in a wheelchair is, is a real concern to have. And God wants me to take that concern to him. Isn't it? But there are irrational anxieties of, of, of you, know, uh, you know, I've got a cold, I've got this disease, so I'm on Google looking at it. Are you with me? Irrational. But I don't think that's anxiety. I think that's taking the reality of the world, the rational anxiety, taking the reality of the world to a God that is in control of it completely. It's a different approach. I think in the midst of that, we can rejoice. 
So Paul is saying what it doesn't look like to live a life rejoicing in God and who he is. Don't be anxious about anything. But then he goes on to say what it does look like. See, when we are anxious, we struggle to pray, don't we? We struggle to ask God for help. We struggle to entrust ourselves into his hands. But that is what Paul calls us to do. This is what a life that rejoices in the Lord in all things and all circumstances do, does. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. See, as Christians, we know who he is, and we know where he is, so we are to pray to him. We are to come to him with our supplications. You know what that means, folks? Begging him earnestly with a helpless and humble posture. God, I don't know why you are allowing this to happen. God, I don't know why it has to be my daughter. I don't know why it has to be our pastor as we're planting churches. Lord, I don't know why, but I am earnestly coming to the one who has it all in his hands, knowing that you are over all things and you are in the midst of it. That's what prayer and supplication means. We can't do anything and we need you in the midst of this. All the while being thankful for who he is and that he is with us in the midst. That's why he says, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. And in the midst of the prayer and supplication, if you remember to be thankful, you are able, I believe, by God's grace, to rejoice. Folks, to come to him in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and letting your requests be known to God is actually glorifying to him. God is glorified when you are in the deepest, darkest pain possible and you go to him. Amen? When you say to him, I trust you, help me. My heart is failing, my head is all over the place, and I do not know what to do. And if anybody says, no, God is not glorified when we come with that. God wants us just to serve him and live for him. Then just point them to the book that is full of it, the book of Psalms. Full of people. Their head is all over the place. Their life is all over the place. They don't know what to do, but where are they taking their prayers and supplications earnestly with a humble posture to the God who is over them and the God, the Lord, who is with them? Paul is saying to rejoice in the Lord always is that in every circumstance, come to him with prayer, telling him everything and asking him to help. Asking him to help. And then Paul says this, verse 7, which is a promise from God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts, your minds in Christ Jesus. Isaiah says this, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is set on you because he trusts you. It's a promise from God that God graciously will guard our hearts and our minds, keep us in perfect peace when the posture of our lives and our hearts in any circumstances remembers who he is, where he is, and that he's in the midst wanting to help. And in his presence, in that posture, we find joy. Folks, I had coffee yesterday with Lucas. And the reality of the situation is that your pastor, your friend, your brother has cancer. What is God going to do in the midst of that? Nobody knows. But I want to tell you this. That the conversation that we had, I heard a man whose heart 
and life is postured before God. And in the midst of our conversation, in the reality of the pain and the tears, there was joy. Because his only hope was in the one who is the name above every name and the one who is right in the midst. Right in the midst. See, the promise is that God will guard your heart and your mind. He will heart guard it. And then the peace that surpasses understanding will do that. Folks, this peace that Paul is talking about, this peace, is not a life free from pain or suffering. That's how the world understands peace, isn't it? Peace is no pain, no suffering, no difficulty. No, this peace that Paul is talking about, this peace that God is talking about, is a security, a sense of well-being in the midst of any circumstance that is a gift from God and experienced in His presence. In His presence. It is that peace that surpasses all understanding. See, folks, what is understandable for people is anxiety in the midst of bad circumstances. That's understandable, isn't it? And actually, we justify our anxiety and our, and our unnecessary worry because that's understandable. But Paul is saying, actually, a peace that is found in rejoicing in God will surpass understanding. Will surpass understanding, both for you and for the people who are around you. Folks, we may be vulnerable and susceptible to attack, but the peace of God will stand guard and protect our hearts and our minds. The vulnerableness of our thoughts, the vulnerableness of our feelings, that have the potential to toss and turn us in the wind, God promises that he will guard them if we come to him with everything. And folks, that's interesting, is it will guard our hearts, will guard our hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That peace is known and experienced because of Christ Jesus. It's not because I'm sorting myself out and I'm going to pray every day and get up at the crack of dawn and do it. No, it's because of Jesus. Because of our union with him in Christ Jesus. Because he's the one that has done what is needed for us to be able to come to the Father with all our prayer and supplication. We're united to him. We abide in him. He abides in us if you have faith in him. It's because we have certainty because of him. Certainty of who we are and certainty that he is going to come back again and make all things new and all our questions will be answered and all our tears will be wiped and the reality of the brokenness of the world will be made sense in the glory of who he is and he will make all things new. He promises that. Paul actually talks about that in the letter. Go home, it'll take you an hour to read. He talks about that certainty that they have that gives in the midst of any circumstances a hope in him. Amen? A hope in him. And folks, as Christian people who are called to be the light of the world, both individually but more importantly to collectively, to present the good news of Jesus to the world, we are called to do that in the midst of the brokenness of this world, aren't we? In the midst of our difficulties of this world, in the midst of the suffering of this world, we are called. And actually, in the midst of our rejoicing, people will see a reasonableness to the reality of our brokenness, but actually it will cause them to ask questions. I don't understand how you are responding in this situation. Because what's understandable to me is you should be going off your head. But that's not happening. 
Let your reasonableness be known. See, I think Paul also had the context of, look, you're living in a crooked generation. As you rejoice in the Lord, in the reality of your circumstances, people will notice. Let it be known. See, God's peace will powerfully be at work in your life and people will see it and people will respond. See, my wife, Sean, I, I love her to bits, obviously. And we've been together since we were 17 years of age, so about 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> A long time. And I sort of dealt with the whole Ella situation on my own. That's what got me to a situation of being... I didn't let my reasonableness know. In fact, I wasn't dealing with it in a reasonable way. I was going to sort this. I was going to lead this. I was going to lead everyone through this. But Sean, on the other hand, was just real. Completely real. With me, with the family, with all their friends. And people started to notice, particularly three ladies that she's been praying for, one for 17 years, one for 15 years, one for about nine years. And it took the suffering that we experienced as a family through Ella and Sean's rejoicing in the Lord and her real response to her situation, but running to the Lord with it. These non-Christian ladies that hadn't sniffed at anything to do with the gospel saw it. Saw it. And were blown away by that peace that surpassed all understanding. And by God's grace, every single one of them now are Christians and know the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's, would I change Ella's situation? Yes. Am I thankful for what God is doing it because of it? Yes. Yes. Folks, there is a day coming soon when Jesus, the Son of God, will appear and the clouds will be driven away and the mysteries of this life will all be made clear and will rest in the judgment and the grace of that day. What do you do when you're down? What do you do when you're sad? What do you do when you're breaking inside? When there are dark clouds all day and you can't seem to pray and you just want to run and hide. If you have faith in Jesus, you must believe. You must believe. See, you believe in the sun when it doesn't shine. You believe in the songs when they don't rhyme. So believe in your God and rest in his love. Because he is too wise to act as a fool. He is too kind to do anything cruel. And he is too great to make a mistake. So we are, as his children, called to believe and to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a faithful God who is in the midst of who we are. Father, we praise and we thank you that we know this. One, because of our union with Jesus, but we also know this because God himself came physically into the brokenness of our world to walk with us, to experience this with us, even unto death. We thank you that when we are lost of hope, we find hope at the cross and resurrection of Jesus. When we've got nowhere to turn, you, by your graciousness and your spirit, take even our groanings and you hear them. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here at Village, and I pray for my dear brother and his wife, and Lord, I pray for all the circumstances that are going on in the hearts and the minds of your people here, and the, the, the temptation to just walk away from your people and to walk away from you. Father, by your Spirit, help us 
to walk towards you and to rejoice in you. To find that joy. Because, Lord, as we look around the world, this street, the people who don't know you, Father, you have put more joy in our hearts than the joy that is experienced when there is wealth and there is happiness for those that don't know you. Father, rekindle that joy as we trust you in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. We thank you that you love us so much that you want to hear us, you want to walk with us, and even in the midst of us not rejoicing in you, you forgive us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that we're going to remember now. Fill us with joy. Help us to be a joyful people that is seen by the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. And that's a true sermon. <laughs> it was good to hear. And um, I know I'm not the only one loving in the midst of those things. So um, that was truth this morning, um, straight from from God's word. And um, I know many of you have been praying, you know, for me, but pray those prayers. You can pray for healing and, and all the, you know, kind of physical stuff, but you just continue to pray mostly uh, for my heart and, and God guarding that. And he certainly has done that. And I honestly credit that to the prayers of the saints. It's, I need other people helping <laughs> me do that. And, and uh, you've done that well in, in that. Um, what struck me sitting here listening to that as well is um, we celebrate this every week, don't we? We celebrate a suffering that leads us into joy um, through this meal that we'll partake of. Um, That's what Jesus does. His disciples, he, he, he institutes this new covenant. He breaks bread and he gives it to him. He says, this is my body broken for you. He takes a, 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 a cup of wine. He says, this is my blood shed for you, and he institutes this new covenant, and it's through the suffering that Jesus enters into on, on, on our behalf. Um, he defeats that suffering and now is, is reigning over all. And we remember the suffering every week. We remember, we literally proclaim the death of Jesus, he says, when we do this. And yet it's through that death, it's through that resurrection, it's through this meal that we remember that we actually get to come out the other side of our own suffering and in the midst of that because this is the, this is the king that we celebrate who's defeated those things, who's made a way for us to have joy in the midst of whatever we're going through, that we have hope because this meal that we remember helps us now, but it also helps us remember this future meal that we will partake of when when tears are wiped away, when all suffering is done, when sin is, 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 is uh, uh, shut away forever, um, and we will live as we were meant to live without, without sin, without suffering, um, and we will get to walk uh, in, the, in the physical presence of our Lord. And so come this morning to the table if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not, um, just stand sing. This meal is for, for believers to, to proclaim what we believe in that. Um, if you're not uh, a follower of Jesus, then may today be that day. Receive Jesus um, and then join us um, here. We'd love to talk to you more uh, about that if you have questions um, as well. So let's stand.